Welcome to Question Period. I'm Evan Solomon. Today on the program, Foreign Threats. When it consists of lies and disinformation aimed at misleading people, destabilizing the economy or society, or manipulating the democratic process, a bright red line gets crossed. Will the government's new security strategy really prevent foreign meddling in the upcoming election? And is Canada doing enough about the espionage threat from China after the U.S. cranks up pressure on the Chinese telecom company Huawei? Public Safety Minister Ralph Goodale is here to tackle both issues. And then, pipeline ripoff? The decision to purchase the Trans Mountain Pipeline, the expansion, was a good economic decision. Or was it? Why does the budget watchdog say the government might have overpaid for the Trans Mountain Pipeline by almost a billion dollars? Will construction delays cost hundreds of millions more? MPs are here to debate the true value of the pipeline buy. And then, Green Bucks. The Green Party of Canada had a record fundraising year. Are they finally about to have a political breakthrough? Green Party leader Elizabeth May joins us. All that plus is the controversial court case about the former number two in Canada's military about to engulf the government. Peter McKay and Tom Mulcair join us on the Scrum. This is Question Period. Let's go get some answers. Well, it is the age of fake news, they say, and foreign interference. After all that mounting evidence of Russian meddling in the elections in the United States and in France, new warnings from the U.S. intelligence chiefs this past week, the Canadian government is taking steps to protect Canadians against outside threats in the upcoming federal election. They've got now a team of five people, including the Prime Minister's National Security Advisor, who will be responsible for alerting the public about any suspected misinformation being spread online. But there's also no new money for security agencies, so does this new plan have any teeth? Meantime, the United States has called China the biggest espionage threat facing the West, so why has Canada still not banned the Chinese telecom company Huawei from taking part in Canada's 5G next generation wireless? Let's find out. Joining me now is the Public Safety Minister, Ralph Goodell. Uh, Minister Goodell, great to have you on the program. What exactly, concretely, is your government doing to stop foreign interference in the next election? Well, being uh, uh, forewarned is one of the best ways to be prepared. So obviously we have watched very carefully what happened in the United States, what happened in the Brexit referendum, what happened in France and Germany and other places around the world. We've gone to school on that to try to uh, recognize the telltale uh, uh, symptoms of of, uh, foreign interference. Uh, Our security agencies, uh, that is the communication security establishment uh, in the Department of National Defense, uh, CSIS, our human intelligence uh, agency, as well as uh, the, uh, the Department of Global Affairs and the, and the RCMP, are all very alert. They, they have come together in a task force. Uh, the RCMP has a particular investigative unit set up to, uh, to deal with this kind of activity. Uh, and they will be very alert, as they already are, okay, but- in uh, identifying the signs. And then the critical thing, uh, Evan, is letting Canadians know. Okay, but, but if it's such a, a fundamental threat, and we have ample evidence of that, when I looked at your announcement, you had three ministers out there. You've put a grand total of $7 million forward for what you call digital news and civic literacy programming. Is there any new money, I'm talking about new money for a new threat, that security agents can take, use to take on this threat? I'm talking about new money. How much new money do they have? 
we are working on the on the uh, financial platforms for all of these agencies to deal with foreign interference, but also to deal with the other uh, security risks and problems and challenges that they need to deal with. Uh, I think you've probably heard me say that uh, uh, we've been providing program uh, integrity funding to the agencies to make up for the cutbacks that occurred in previous years under a previous government. Uh, the review process in terms of their financial strength is now just about complete, and we will be making sure that they have the financial resources to do okay, this job, so, okay, so it's which just is protecting against foreign interference, but everything else too. Okay, so just answer me straight. It's a new threat. Is there any new money? Yes or no? Uh, it, it, there will be new money for these agencies going forward to do their total job. How they much? will decide internally. Uh, uh, like I would, yes, I want to. We just want that process is ongoing. But, uh, that look, I have. I will make it very clear that they will have the resources they need in order to do all of the jobs that we ask them to do. It's not just a case of dealing with one threat. They are responsible for protecting Canadians okay. against every form of threat, and we will make sure that they've got the finances to do the job. Okay, the but $7 million <laughs> is a grant to, to private sector NGOs who are experts in, in informing the public about specific uh, elements of, uh, of uh, digital hygiene and recognizing fake news when it happens. Citizens need to be informed as well, oh, oh, but the agencies will have the money. Minister, uh, why is the chief electoral officer not part of your new protocol panel? If elections, if elections are under attack and the agencies are already there to stop any attack, why wouldn't you put the chief electoral officer as part of this panel to make sure the election has integrity? Well, the, the, the chief electoral officer and the elections commissioner, who is actually the official that deals with offenses under the Elections Act, uh, they will obviously be, uh, be fully uh, informed. But it's very important to maintain the distinction between the two roles. There needs to be seamless communication so that, so that uh, they are fully informed. But their job is to make sure that the Canada Elections Act is properly applied and that anything that that uh, breaks the law is uh, is properly identified and, and prosecuted the uh, the issue of foreign interference uh, falls within the jurisdiction of the of the security and police agencies uh, and they need to do right. their job in uh, in uh, making sure that there's not untoward uh, corruption of Canadian elections that comes from right. a foreign capital. All right, let's move on to China, also a big threat. The U.S. has brought serious charges against Huawei, the Chinese telecom company, essentially calling them an arm of the Chinese state. When will Canada decide if it will ban Huawei from participating in building the next generation of wireless here, the 5G network? Uh, Evan, that process has uh, has started the examination of 5G. Understand that it's not an examination of a specific company or a specific country. Uh, it's an examination of this new technology that is different from, from 4G. The issues before us are really twofold. Number one, uh, what, is, what is this new technology that is different from what we've known before so we can understand not just the potential of what it can do, but also its new potential vulnerabilities? Uh, and then secondly, uh, how do we make sure that when Canadians have access to the technology, they can do it in a safe and secure right. manner? That, that examination started some months ago. It's got some ways to go yet before we're, we're satisfied. But we will make a decision that will be in Canada's best interest, and we will not, repeat not, 
undermine Canadian security. Okay, well, let, let me, I'm going to read you something off the CSIS website, okay? This is the Canadian Security Agency, published a report, and it's called uh, Fingers in All the Pots, the Threat of Foreign Interference in Democratic Systems. And it talks about New Zealand, and it, this is CSIS on their website. S New Zealand provides a vivid case study, it writes, of China's willingness to use economic ties to interfere with the political life of a partner company. They write, it's an aggressive strategy, has sought to influence political decision-making, pursue unfair advantages in trade and business, suppress criticism of China, facilitate espionage uh, opportunities, and influence overseas Chinese communities. The warning is so stark here. I'm just trying to ask you, do you believe, one, that Huawei is an instrument of the Chinese state? Do you believe they can be used as an instrument of the Chinese state? And do you believe that China is, like they are clearly doing in New Zealand, uh, targeting Canadians? Uh, CSIS and the RCMP and the Communications Security Establishment and all of the police and security agencies of the Government of Canada are alert to all manner of threats. And all of that, Evan, is going to be taken into account, is now being taken very carefully into account in the Canadian decision-making process. But understand, again, we are not in this, in this examination that's ongoing. It's not about a specific company or a specific country. It's about all of them and the entire supply chain and all of the potential participants right. in that supply but chain, this is about, whether but, but it be the US... one company or two companies from, from China or Ericsson or Nokia or any but, other company. But to be we fair, have sir, to examine it all. But to be fair, it's Don't about Huawei. It. It's, about, you, it's about the U.S. You, and our Five Eyes partners outside of Britain, and they're on the fence, are saying no to Huawei and 5G. CSIS says China's a target. I'm asking you a specific question. Do you believe that Huawei can be used as an instrument of state and of espionage for the Chinese government, as the U.S. has alleged, yes or no? We will absolutely weigh all of the scientific evidence all of the safety and security evidence. And Evan, you do a grave disservice to the, to the protection of the Canadian state when you try to, to fragment the, the investigative process. It is important that this process have continuity, comprehensiveness, and integrity. There's an urgency because Canadians are in prison, and that's why we're trying to get a decision on Huawei. And it raises the question, are you delaying the decision about Huawei and the 5G because of the jailed Canadians? No. No. The, uh, the, the, the decisions with respect to 5G and all of the potential participants, the nature of the new technology, its advantages and its vulnerabilities, and the participants in the supply chain, that is a process uh, that has uh, complete integrity uh, and, and will be conducted on the basis of, of hard facts and science, and we will not compromise national security. Minister Goodell, great to have you on the program. That's all the time I have. I appreciate it very much. Good to talk to you. All right, that's Minister Ralph Goodale coming up. Pipeline overpayment. Did the government overpay for a pipeline now stuck in legal limbo by almost a billion dollars? We'll find out. MPs are standing by to debate the sticker shock after the break. Stay right here with Question Period. that deal, you told us that it was $4.5 billion purchase. So when did it become 4.1?
Uh, no, I didn't. In fact, the, uh, the purchase price was uh, $4.5 billion, less the amount of tax advantage, which brings it to $4.1 billion. This $4.5 billion investment represents a fair price for Canadians. So the finance minister, Bill Morneau, was clearly on the defensive after a report from Canada's budget watchdog revealed the government may have overpaid for the Trans Mountain Pipeline by, get this, almost a billion dollars. The government purchased the project for $4.5 billion after the court challenges and protests made it too risky for Kinder Morgan. But now the budget watchdog says it could be worth as low as $3.6 billion. And here's where it gets worse. Delays could cost up to $700 million a year with an estimated completion date of late 2021 is the pipeline turning into a money pit. Let's bring in the MPs. Paul Lefebvre is the Parliamentary Secretary to the Natural Resources Minister. He joins us from Quebec City today. Candace Bergen is the Conservative House Leader. She's with me here in studio. And coming to us from Montreal is the NDP's Environment and Climate Change Critic, Alexandre Bourris. Good morning to all of you. Uh, Mr. Lefebvre, let me just start with you. Um, did the government overpay for the pipeline and why did you pay at the highest end of the estimate? Even the PBO report acknowledges that uh, not all the assets were actually valued in this transaction. So $4.1 billion, that, uh, what the, it was actual price paid when you take in the, the net cost, when you factor in the capital gains that uh, Kinder Morgan would have to pay. Now, when you actually factor in the related assets, uh, this is a terminal and this is a budget sound pipeline, that actually increases the value a lot of this this has significant value, so we need to take that into consideration. Okay. And the PBO acknowledges that he did not take that into consideration. Well, because it hasn't been built yet. Uh, Candace Bergen, what do you make of that explanation? Well, well, first of all, this was a pipeline that the government, the Liberals, never needed to buy using taxpayers' dollars. There was, there was a private company ready, willing, and able to build a pipeline, but because of the way Trudeau and the Liberals have botched this file, they, they wanted to abandon it. So here we see again Trudeau, and this is what we've been saying recently, this guy is spending your money, doesn't care how much it costs, doesn't care about the mistakes he makes, because in the end, guess who's on the hook and he's going to have to pay for it, the Canadian taxpayer. Now, that, and in addition to, we do not have a pipeline built. We are still seeing jobs lost in Alberta and across the country. if they do build it, just to be country. fair, if they build it, I and mean, there's a delay, it could cost $700 million. And that's why million. we stepped in. If, 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 if they do build it, is it worth it, Candace Bergen? No, I don't believe that it is. I don't, first of all, I don't think they're going to build it. Wow. This is Trudeau's plan. Trudeau wow. said he wanted to phase out the oil sands. He's bought this pipeline. It, there is no hope in sight for it getting bit built. And every see, everything we've seen this guy touch, he does not do well. He fails at. So I don't have a lot of confidence in the Liberals. I certainly don't have confidence in Trudeau's judgment when it comes to buying things with other people's oh, money. Okay, Alexander Bullers, you, you jump in here. Do you, your party said the government got fleeced on this. I mean, again, it's, yeah. an, it's an estimate that they bought it, and it could be the high end. Um, what's your take on this? You know, politics is about uh, choices. And uh, liberals, Trudeau, they could have, uh, you know, invest in fighting housing crisis or make life more affordable for Canadians. But instead, uh, they, they bought yeah. an old leaky pipeline. And uh, what was a, a bad deal from the beginning, we just learn from the PBO report that it's, it's just worse because we, uh, we paid too much. We probably lost $1 billion. 
And because the courts are saying, you know, the asset evaluation was badly made, uh, we will probably lose $700 million a year. So this is really a, a, a bad advancement, and uh, it's wrong for the Canadian economy. It was uh, a terrible decision by the Prime Minister. And again, yeah. these, he's making these decisions, bad decisions, in so many of the, of, of the files that, that he's supposed to be leading and doing something good for the country. And this is a prime example Evans, of his an mistake in Canadian and Canadians jobs. having to okay. pay. This is Mr. a Canadian job in the resource sector. The, the money's being lost. Let me yes. hear from Mr. Lefebvre, you from the here. opposition. What's your take on their, their... They're saying you got fleeced on well, this. Well, listen... Well, actually, as I said before, the, if you, the PBO even acknowledges that he did not take all the related assets in the valuation, and he didn't even also consider the potential of what this pipeline would bring in. He says that if, by, if this pipeline moves forward, they will actually increase the price differential by $5. Yes. In, in a year, that is $6 billion added to our GDP. That is not even taken into consideration the, the actual... Um, the amount, the value of bringing actually this new oil to, to new markets. And, and, right and now, I've got a beachfront Arizona. 90% of our oil is going to one market, <laughs> and we are. And, it is actually lower than actually the value of what it is, that, that, that it should be. And we are focused on getting this right. You made a, a big mistake. You bought a pipeline that you didn't need to buy. You sent over $4 billion to an American-based company and all the jobs with it. And the way that I cannot believe that you are defending this decision and questioning the PBO's uh, report, it was clear and it's what experts, I mean, no one else was lining up to buy it. That was the other thing. Remember the Liberals said, oh, we're going to buy it, but there's all kinds of people ready to buy it and we're going to make a profit. Eh, no, not so much. So why don't day, you just the, admit the, you the blew it, is, Evan, you the blew it, and Canadians are having the to pay for your mistake. Okay, but hang on, Mr. LeFay, I want to get your answer. but I Canadian. Okay, but hang on, I just want to... I want, because you're trying to make the case that there's value for money, that if this gets built, it will be worth billions of dollars. But just going back to the PBO report, Mr. Lefebvre, if, the de if every year delay, there's already been a year delay, it's $700 million is lost. But here's the other element. If there's a rise of 10% in construction costs, it will take another $453 million out of the pipeline. So I'm just, how do you look at Canadians? And now we've had an independent officer of parliament say so you bought it at the high end, potentially a billion dollars more. We know Kinder Morgan profited at least $1.3 billion on this thing. Uh, you've got $700 million worth of delay, and potentially if construction costs rises, and they are, $453 million. How is that value for your money? Well, well because at the end of the day, this is a, an investment in our natural resource sector. This is an investment in Canadian jobs. Because we, we need to move forward with our natural resources, because again, as I said, 99% of our oil goes to one market. Kinder Morgan will not have expanded the pipeline, given the political risk that was associated with this project. We needed to step in, and we did. At the same time, we know that we, there is more work to be done with properly consulting the, with, with Indigenous peoples, and at the same time, making sure that we get our environment piece right. When I hear Candace talk about basically how the Conservatives would have done a better job, actually, I, I, I'm actually, I, I chuckle because at the end of the day, they're actually citing a PBO report, and we know for the past 10 years, the Conservatives had disregarded the PBO at every turn that they could, and they cut corners. They, didn't, they disregarded their obligations with, with Indigenous peoples, and they we disregarded the environment. Well, they say well, that this could be built it. alone, and right now we have a price differential that is seriously affecting our Canadian economy. We, we are aware of that, but that's okay. why we okay. respect the Federal Court of Appeal decision that we know the Conservatives do not at all. All right, I want to get in Mr. Bullerice in there. I know Candice Bergen, you want to respond to that, but Mr. Bullerice, just real quick, uh, again, I know your party doesn't support this pipeline. The, the Liberals do, though, and they believe that this is going to bring a $6 billion, if it gets built, back into the economy by changing the price differential. 
Uh, what's your party's response to that? Yeah, it's quite easy, you know. If we are going to spend uh, uh, 4.5 billion to buy an old pipeline, and after that, maybe 10 billion dollars to the expansion, uh, if the courts allowed that. We all know, and the studies shows that if you invest that kind of money in renewable energy, you are going to create four times more jobs, four times more jobs. And it's jobs that will be there in the long term for the future in our communities. This is the right choice. And, and, and liberals are making bad decisions on, on the energy of, of the past. And let's remind everybody that it was too risky for Kinder Morgan. They tried to sell that to the other private companies. It was too risky for for them and Trudeau's decided that the risk should be on the shoulders of, of Canadian taxpayer. We disagree yeah. with that. I gotta leave it there, everybody. Thank you so much. There's a long debate ahead. Uh, Mr. Lefebvre, Ms. Bergen, Mr. Yes. Bouleris, great to have all three Thank of you, you back on the program. We gotta take a break, but when we come back, record-breaking fundraising for the Green Party. Is that party about to see a breakthrough? maybe nipping at the heels of the NDP. Its leader, Elizabeth May, will join us next to find out. Stay right here with Question Period. Canadians are already paying for his mistakes, so why is he also covering up the real cost of his carbon tax from Canadians? When it comes to climate change, it's been 274 days since the member opposite promised a climate plan for Canadians. Where's that plan? So what's behind the rise of the Green Party? It's now breaking fundraising records, especially in the last quarter. Could it be that the world is finally catching up to their agenda? The political debate is now dominated by issues the Greens have been talking about for years. Climate change, carbon pricing, even pipelines. Provincially, there's even a rise. The Green Party polling ahead in Prince Edward Island. There's an election there in October. Is the future going green? Let's find out. Joining me now is the Green Party leader, Elizabeth May. Great to have you here. So... $2 million less than the NDP in the last fundraising year. You're nipping yeah. at their heels. Yeah. What's behind the rise in fundraising? Well, I think there's a rise in support overall, and fortunately, a lot of our supporters are also generous. We're not a party that flips around looking for what's the flavor of the day. We're, we're, we're quite... <laughs> honest about what we believe. We've done our research. We talk to people. We don't talk down to people. We're in communities working with other Greens, other, and also we're a global party. It's something that no other party can say is that there's, you know, one of my colleagues is the Deputy Prime Minister of Sweden. Another colleague is the Minister of Climate for New Zealand. If we're solving global problems, it's good to have global allies and be part of a global movement. Is there a number? I mean, you, you've had your seat. I think at one point, the most there were members you had is two. Yeah. Uh, is there a number in the next election that you're targeting, number of seats? Well, I'm targeting winning seats right across the country and surprising people. I don't have a number in my head. Honestly, Evan, I don't, because I think anything could happen. We could get a break in Quebec. We're looking at rising support in Quebec that's really surprising people on the ground. We know we've already had breakthroughs provincially, as you mentioned, Prince Edward Island, New Brunswick, Ontario, and, of course, in British Columbia. And I think people like what they see. Who's it coming at the expense of? Is it, I mean, from the fundraising point of view, it, it appears like you're taking NDP money or that might go there. Uh, is it 
a progressive body that might have gone or, or votes that may go to the liberals? Where are your votes or your support coming from? It's right across the spectrum. We appeal to people who are traditional progressive conservatives, for instance, because they don't really have anywhere to go if the two right-wing parties are Andrew Scheer's version of conservatives and Maxine Bernier and the People's Party. We're appealing to people who want to see real action on environment, and they, they don't see that they've got a real chance in forming government with the NDP. They look at who really... You know, sticks to principles. When you have an NDP government like Alberta's, that makes people wonder, or BC with, um, with John Horgan approving Site C, that turned a lot of NDP voters over to the Green Party. So overall, I'd say we also primarily appeal to people who have given up on politics and don't want to vote at all. Now, let me just ask you about the Trans Mountain Pipeline, because, you know, the Parliamentary Budget Officer yeah. said, you know, maybe the Liberals paid a billion dollars more and uh, they may cost $700 million lose value for every year that they delay it. In your mind, does that pipeline ever get built? Of course not. It's, it's, it defies all the evidence, including the economic evidence, to keep pursuing it. What we really need is to examine why it was Kinder Morgan had already decided they did not want to pursue the pipeline. That's why they made their ultimatum and their threat that they needed a guarantee by May 30th. What kind of government decides to fall prey to a con job from a bunch of Texas pipeline guys who, who used to be, by the way, they were Enron, the same guys who founded Kinder Morgan, Enron. And how on earth could a government say we need to guarantee this when there's a federal court of appeal decision about to be rendered that could do exactly what happened? Most governments, most politicians know enough to say the matter's before the courts. Do you remember there was a time, look, I just wonder if the world's catching up to you or not, because there was a time when what you were saying, it was like whistling in the dark, you were deemed a radical, all that. You see mainstream politicians talking about what you're talking about. The Supreme Court had a very big decision this yes. week on what's called abandoned wells or orphaned wells. They basically said companies that build wells in places, especially Alberta, where there are tens of thousands of them, if they go bankrupt, they have to now clean up the well. They can't abandon the well right. before they pay their creditors. They can't use bankruptcy protection. How significant from a legal point of view is that for someone like you? It's a sea change. What it means is that what's happened in the oil sands, which a lot of people don't talk about, the biggest multinationals are pulling out of the oil sands because they don't want to have unburnable carbon. These are stranded assets. So that's why Royal Dutch Shell and Stat Oil and, and uh, Total SA from France and ConocoPhillips have left the oil sands. Well, guess who bought their assets? Smaller companies, Canadian companies, juniors. Now they're going to end up owning massive liabilities. They're going to be, in an, it, this is inevitable that we're going off fossil fuels. They're going to have the stranded assets and they're going to be told, yeah, guess what? You have to clean up all those abandoned wells. But I, you know, some people listening to you might be a little angry that you're, you're sort of gloating over the fact that those big companies are leaving Canada's oil sands. They're jobs. People are out of work. People can't. I'm not gloating. I'm looking at a future for my children and my grandchildren that is dependent on shutting down fossil fuels. I know, but there's a and present. What about the there are people looking at you now saying you're worried about a future I gotta pay my mortgage I what we talk about is a just transition and there are more jobs to be found if we did an energy efficiency retrofit of our buildings in Canada would create four million jobs the jobs that were for the, the jobs are very transferable pipe fitters can be putting up windmills these jobs are very transferable and they're well paying and as you do know I do favor continuing to use bitumen from Alberta for purposes of 
Canadian use of fossil fuels on a declining basis by building refineries in Alberta. So if you also look at where the jobs have gone, the tens of thousands of jobs in the oil sands that have gone because of modernization and automation. So the oil sands are the past. We need to look at fossil fuels as the past and build a future that creates jobs in industries that don't kill our children's future. Well, we'll find out in about nine months if the future has caught up with the Green Party and there is a green shift. Elizabeth May, great to have you. I appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, Evan. All right, that is the Green Party leader. When we come back, did the government really overpay for that Trans Mountain Pipeline by almost a billion dollars? The scrum is gathering next. Our special guest on that round will be Peter McKay. Stay right here with Question Period. We are obviously uh, uh, very sensitive to uh, uh, what our allies think and feel and believe, and we, we uh, weigh those views very carefully. So the public safety minister, Ralph Goodale, who was on earlier, says a decision on whether or not to block the Chinese telecom giant Huawei is still months or weeks away. Despite warnings from the U.S. officials that China is a huge espionage threat, why won't Canada join its allies like the U.S.? Australia and New Zealand and ban Huawei sooner. To talk about that and pricey pipelines, the scrum is here. Tonda McCharles, senior reporter with the Toronto Star. Uh, Joyce Napier, uh, CTV's Ottawa bureau chief is here. Craig Oliver, CTV's chief political commentator and his patented wave is here. And our special guest today is the former foreign affairs and defense minister, Peter McKay. Good morning to everybody. Let's start with you, Mr. McKay. And I want to start with China. So after the U.S. brought serious charges against Huawei and Meng Wanzhou, the Huawei executive. Uh, should Canada now follow suit and ban Huawei from building Canada's next generation of wireless? The short answer is yes, they should make the decision. They should make the consideration based on national interests. And let's not forget that our Five Eyes commitments and our Five Eyes partners are watching this decision very closely as well. We have seen other executives for this, from this company, Huawei, arrested in places like Poland. There are reports out of the United States, which should be troubling. And I think the decision has to be made sooner rather than later, but it will have knock-on effects. We've seen retaliation. We've seen threats coming from the Chinese ambassador. So it is a, right. a difficult time for the government to thread this needle in the middle of a hurricane. You know, one of the conservatives told me last week that really would have been a lot easier for the government if, they've, if they had moved sooner and that if all the five eyes allies had made the decision in lockstep. And that, I think, actually would have buffered everybody against the anticipated consequences of such a decision going against the Chinese. But our lives are immeasurably complicated right now because the priority has to be those Canadians who have been detained. Yeah, Craig, uh, this, there's larger questions about now how the China file, a new Angus Reid poll, says about 44% of Canadians want the Trudeau government to act tougher on China. Where are we on this file? Well, I think that this has been a painful personal defeat for the Prime Minister. I think the, he had a vision of an aggressive, prosperous uh, free trade arrangement with China, expanding into all kinds of other foreign affairs issues uh, to sort of capitalize on the great breakthrough his father made 40 years ago in recognizing China. And that is now uh, in the dustbin of history. It's gone. They have no China policy left now. The only policy they had is finished. Uh, and I think they are in a very difficult position. What move to make next? Joyce. You know, it's so complicated and perhaps, you know, you, hindsight is twenty twenty. but perhaps 
not letting the Huawei executive into Canada would have solved many problems for Canada. But now they're both linked. So you pull out of the Huawei deal or you decide that you're going to ban Huawei from Canada and you open yourself to retaliatory measures. Obviously you do because of the situation we're in. So they're both so intertwined that I understand the actual, the, actually the cabinet saying perhaps we should wait a couple of months. There is no rush. Okay, let me move on to the pipeline and the explosive report by the parliamentary budget officer, the budget watchdog, that the government may have overpaid for the Trans Mountain Pipeline and the expansion by almost a billion dollars. Now, the government defended the purchase, but what does this mean? I mean, uh, Tonda, that scrum that you had, that you were in, <laughs> when you asked the finance minister, Bill Morneau, why did you pay $4.5 billion? And he literally says, I never, never said, said that. that. I said 4.1. We have multiple clips of him saying 4.5 billion. What do you make of this now after this report, the politics of payment on this pipeline? Uh, well, you know, the part of the problem is the finance minister can't communicate his storyline. And, you know, they paid 4.5. And yes, the company ended up paying capital gains tax. So the government got some revenue back out and it undercut the net price paid. But everybody gets that. They would have paid capital gains anyway had they sold it to a private investor. So... You know, that doesn't wash, and people got it. And I think what they've always had is um, a problem explaining why they embarked on this massive project, why it was absolutely necessary. Um, but look, we all may be laughing, you know, in a year or two hence, once they, if the thing ever does get built, and it starts pushing oil out to uh, Asian markets. It could be worth a lot of money under could those circumstances. I think that's money. the big it will be. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's a huge And now we have First Nations lined up saying we want they to buy, a buy it. They want to buy it, right? Yeah. Meantime, I don't think I'd let Bill Morneau run out and buy me a used car. <laughs> he paid the sticker price right off the top. Uh, he was the only bidder the company had. They were desperate to get rid of this pipeline. Surely they could have maybe been a little bit tougher on them. But word is, word is, they got, word is they got them down. They were, they word is they got the them down yeah. in the bargaining well, that's of all of that. The but parliamentary budget okay, officer was a neutral voice, yes, nonpartisan, who has now told them, you paid way too much for something, you didn't negotiate properly, and, you know, you bought a second-hand car without even asking... And you a second-hand pipeline. And a second-hand pipeline. Well, a second-hand well, second car that may never be able to operate. Exactly. Let's not forget the timing of it, too. The uh, Supreme Court decision came down basically saying this pipeline wasn't going to get built anytime soon, and that would have also surely been calculated into the valuation that would have been made on the purchase price. So I think the bigger question, and, and Tonda referred to it, is whether this pipeline will ever actually get built in, in the near term. Well, they have a shot at it. Will, Peter, course, wasn't the Supreme Court. It was a court of appeal decision, a federal court of appeal decision, which laid out a blueprint for them, and maybe if they follow it, maybe it'll get built, right? So we're not at the end no, of the road. No, but I'm saying the timing of that decision could have affected the price that they could yeah. have negotiated. Yes. And no the, okay. and every the, day uh, the it's government not had built. to know that decision was coming. Maybe okay. they were being overly optimistic it's, about what the court would say. On, on, on just the one quick question I've got about this is the raw politics of this. I know we're talking about raw bitumen, but Craig, the raw politics, we are in an election election year, the pipeline is a symbol of all sorts of things for all sorts of people. The politics of payment, does that hurt or help the Liberals? Well, uh, the, the real politics is the failure of the grand bargain. Uh, we can get social license uh, to build this pipeline because we're doing over here, uh, we're putting a price on carbon. And now most of the provinces are saying no to the price on carbon and we don't have a pipeline. I mean, that's been the real, one of their great strategies has failed. 
And, and the killer figure is every day that it's not built, it costing Canadian taxpayers $2 million a day. $2 million a day, and we're not even putting in the price, the increasing price of, cons of building this pipeline, which increases... 10%, according to the PBO, again, every year. So, you know, it was supposed to cost a little $9.5 billion. You for make that calculation for yeah. the expansion. With the expansion, yeah. yeah. Watch the price go well, up every day. Let's not forget day. the fractious impact it's having on politics in Alberta and Saskatchewan, that's for right. example. And and I have to put in a plug for the Energy East pipeline. Yeah, that's right. Why, uh, why did we pay for a pipeline that was twinning a line going west as opposed to building a new one that would go east that would take uh, Canadian product to a Canadian refinery <laughs> that would have allowed Peter, us to employ a lot of Peter, people you know and why. a geopolitical Peter, you impact. Government. You, you, know know why. Why. you know why. You know exactly why. You, you just know opened why, a can of worms. Oh, come on, folks. <laughs> There's an election You know pipelines got built on our watch. And you know that it was Quebec that put a spike <laughs> in that one. All right, I, I got to leave it there. Pipeline politics always good here. Uh, <laughs> Peter McKay, thank you for joining us. When we come back, is a Pleasure. controversial court case about to become the Liberal government's own Duffy trial? We'll talk about that and fighting back against foreign interference with our next Scrum special guest, Tom Mulcair, joins us. Stay right here with Question Period. the G7, of NATO, of the Five Eyes, it would be naive of us to assume that we are not a target for a cyber attack. Well, is it enough? The government unveiled its new strategy to stop foreign interference in the upcoming election, centered upon a new group of people who are tasked with monitoring cyber threats, but with almost no new money for security assigned to this. How effective will it really be? To talk about this and a lot more, the scrum is back. Um, Tana McCharles, of course, is here. Joyce Napier, Craig Oliver, and our special guest this round is the former NDP leader, now CTV political commentator, Tom Mulcair. Okay, let's uh, welcome Tom Mulcair to this round. Tom, the government is only committing $7 million. That's for public education on what they, you know, fake news and social media. Not a lot of money. How are they going to tackle this serious threat without more serious funds? It is a serious threat, and you have to put your money where your mouth is. On this one, if we're going to take it seriously, we've got to put the best people on it, and we've got to put enough resources financially and otherwise to deal with this threat. Putin has understood one thing. Elections are easy to fix. He learned that. His master's class was in Russia. Now he's doing a postdoc in other countries. We've got to get ready for this. There are state actors, bad actors out there, who want to interfere in democratic elections, and we've got to defend our democracy. I think on this, you know, uh, the NDP made a really good point. When this w announcement was made last week, the NDP said, fine and dandy to put up a task force of public servants, but non-political public servants, if there is such a thing. Uh, but... Uh, why not put the Commissioner of Elections, the Chief, the, electoral, the chief officer, electoral Officer, in this decision-making process? He seems to be the person whose job it is to safeguard freedom of elections. I'd and like plus, to know. I'd like to know what. First, not. Well, I'd like to know what happens uh, if this bureaucratic SWAT team discovers that, say, the Russians are interfering to try to push the Liberals out of power because they they don't like the Liberals very much, especially the Foreign Minister. Do they go public in the middle of the campaign? Uh, and, and announce that, and perhaps impact on the campaign and the in a way that... Is, how long will it take them? Now they set up a committee, they have to meet, they have to talk, and then they have to decide how they're going to deal with this, how many days are going to go by 
when uh, reactive time, reaction time is going to be too long. And plus, I think the public will know that something's brewing out there and the conversation will go way beyond this committee. Uh, all right. Uh, let's. I'm amazed that they only have that seven million dollars, but let's see what happens there because it's a legitimate threat. Let's talk about the curious case of Mark Norman. Now, I hope you've been following this case, folks, because uh, this is a very fascinating case going on. Now, Mark Norman is the former vice admiral, the second in command in the military, and he's facing charges for allegedly leaking details about a shipbuilding contract to the Irving Shipyard. Now, as we know in Ottawa, leaks are pretty common, but this was cabinet confidence. The case has gained attention because of Norman's legal team alleges the government has hid documents it needs for its defense. And there's a lot going on. Tana, let me just start with you on this one. Uh, the allegations are they, they can't defend itself, and then you had Jet, um, the chief of the defense staff, uh, General Vance, testifying. You know, let's, that he'd met with a lot of people. What, what's that stake well, here? Look, I think, let's just step back for a second. The, the trial is around whether or not a senior military officer leaked, but it's also around whether there was political interference mm, yes. in a contract, a huge military procurement contract. So that's a big thing. It's a big political egg waiting to drop on the liberals' head during the next campaign because, mark my words, just like the Duffy trial, uh, you know, there's a lot of skirmishing going on right now and the defense trying to lay the trap that the government interfered after the fact to cover up. A lot of that actually does kind of color a judge's perception of a, of a case. So I don't think we're going to see the end of it anytime quickly and it has potential to be a, a big bomb in the middle of the campaign. You also could have called this Ex a curious case of Scott more. Bryson, by the way. I think you could not find a reporter on Parliament Hill believes that Scott Bryson is quitting only to see his two wonderful daughters. Uh, I think that he's going to have quite a bit to answer for. Most of us believe the government pulled him so that he wouldn't be still in the House of Commons, still a cabinet minister, when his name is dragged through this trial. Uh, Tom Mulcahy, you want to jump in? Sorry. I like uh, Tanya's reference to the Duffy affair. I can remember Judge Viancourt going through the scores of charges that were laid against Mike Duffy, letting him go on every single charge, saying this was highly political. Who is the lawyer for Admiral Norman? None other than, none other than Marie Annan, mm -hmm. the exceptionally capable lawyer who was involved in a very high-profile case involving Gian Gomeshi. You know that the last thing the Liberals wanted was to see one of their ministers getting cross-examined by her right in the middle of the campaign. But when you start something like this, you better be sure of the timing because it is indeed something that could blow up on them right in the middle of the campaign. There is skullduggery around these, these naval contracts. There was an incitement in the past. You wanted your admirals talking mm. to the press, developing relations. I'm anxious mm. to see if James Cudmore is going to be winding up, giving us a little bit more information here, frankly. The former journalist who's also at the heart of it now works in the government. Uh, Joyce Navy, you were at the trial this week. I know. It would What's an extraordinary sight to see. Two men in uniform, number one, number two of the Canadian military, one in the witness box mm. and the other one in the accused dock. And you're thinking what a self-inflicted wound this is and what a slow-moving case it will be because the lawyer, Mary Hannon, that Tom was talking about, is looking to see if the government tried to hide yeah. all documents pertaining to Mark Norman by giving him code names. So we're getting into some pretty, you know, sort of fantastic stuff, mm. right? And this is just the beginning. This is pre-trial. Yeah. Imagine the trial. And, and if by it gets the way, that is actually, but that is actually a side issue to the actual criminal allegations Absolutely. that Norman is facing, right? 
So I, I just, I'm not a big fan of prejudging what the outcome of any of this is. I would like, you know, to sort of see that thing unfold. And to Craig's point about, you know, everybody assumes that's why Bryson left. Actually, I have no idea why Bryson left. Um, I'm going to, for now, take it at face value that he wanted to go spend time with the, his family because he threw a bomb into the government when he blew up the cabinet and forced the government's hand right. on shuffling. So. I don't know. I'd say let's let let it play mm -hmm. out and see where it goes. It has huge damage potential. Right. And he was on this program, I should say, denying that there was yeah. a, this. Yes. The Norman case had anything to do with this. All right. Uh, last question. I'll start with you, Craig. Uh, we had Elizabeth May on the program, mm -hmm. uh, and partly because they had an incredible fundraising for them. The Greens raised three point one million dollars in the last year and had a great last quarter. That's only two million dollars less than the NDP, who raised about five point one million. Meantime, the Liberals and the Conservatives have record fundraising. Uh, Craig, is this a sign that the Green Party may be having a, an election to watch, a, re, a real moment to finally surge? Well, they are now uh, have MLAs in nine provincial governments. Uh, and I think this is uh, a time when we're seeing environment as one of the major issues in this campaign. I think that a lot of New Democrats who are very devoted to climate issues uh, may decide to vote for Green. Uh, rather than vote for, for, for their own party. Uh, and there are a lot of liberals feeling the same way, I think, who on the environmental issue may decide yeah. to vote for the Green Party. I think this will be an election which will see Greens elected to Parliament. And who knows if there's a minority conservative go a liberal government, they might even be a, a holding the balance of power. Tom Walker, I was pretty surprised by those numbers. They're, they're literally nipping at the heels of the NDP. What do you make of that? I wasn't surprised by those numbers. In fact, I've been predicting it for a while, Evan, for one good and simple reason. Progressives are looking for a home on environmental issues. Survey after surveys, Canadians say environment in general, climate change in particular, big issues for them, but it's never had enough saliency to move their votes. Now people are seeing the Liberals, who talk a good game on environment, buying a pipeline for $4.5 billion, wanting more uh, production in the oil sands. Mr. Singh has now decided he's going to support a liquefied natural gas pipeline. So people who believe that environmental issues should be top of mind are worried about what type of society and world we're going to leave to our children and our grandchildren. They're going to start paying attention to Elizabeth May's Green Party. I think that Canadians might just send enough of a contingent of Green Party MPs to Ottawa this time to hold whoever would form the government. Maybe Mr. Trudeau, because he's got a bit of a lead right now, but we don't know. But whoever's there, hold their feet to the fire on these environmental issues. I think that's how this might play out. All right, I got to leave it there. So much going on. Uh, Tom Mulcair, great to have you back on the program. Tana McCharles, Craig Good Oliver, Joyce Napier, great to have everyone. Thank you for watching. If you are watching the Super Bowl and notice this year I didn't ask for predictions. Tonda and Joyce, very delighted about that. Enjoy the game, everybody. We will be back here in seven short days. Have a great weekend and bundle up.